Welcome back. We're in Revelation chapter 22, verse 6. Let's go. Verse 6, it says, Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. All right, so let's go to verse 6. And he said to me, These words are faithful and true. Think about that. Faithful and true. Is God faithful or his words true? Do you believe that the Bible is the inspired work of God, the inspired words of God, that it is God who wrote the Bible and just used men to pen it using those men's personalities? Because that's what God tells us in the Bible. How do we know it to be true? Well, we can go back and test the Bible against world history. And you had people like Nostradamus and other people who try to predict things, and ultimately they fail, which makes them a false prophet or a false predictor or whatever you want to call them. But the prophecy set forth in, in the Bible has either one been fulfilled, you know, each specific prophecy has been fulfilled, or those that have not yet been fulfilled will be fulfilled. But looking back directionally, we can see that any prophecy that has come to fruition has been fulfilled and none have failed. Not a single one. That would be impossible. That is impossible unless this is the word of God. By coincidence, no one could have written these things so far in advance and then seen the things actually come true. And you can go back and you can study Bible prophecy. There's over 300 prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus alone. Not to mention all the other prophecies that were not fulfilled by Jesus, but fulfilled by other world events. That's only possible. Like, think about it. It's only possible. And, and I don't know how an unbeliever could look at this and say, well, it's not true. Well, every prophecy that has come to fruition has been true. Not a single one has failed. That is how God is faithful and true. So when he tells you that he's faithful, he's there. And remember, it doesn't matter if you've taken a thousand steps away from Jesus. All you have to do is turn around and he's right there with you. He's one step away. You just turn to him and he is there. He follows you around. He wants, he loves you. No matter how much you may hate him, no matter how much you may turn your back on him, no matter how many sins stand between you and him, he's just there waiting with his arms spread open as they were on the cross. Not with his arms crossed as a kid who's angry, or as an adult who's angry, or someone in a courtroom. But he stands with his arms just out. Just think of him on the cross, just saying, come to me. I'm right here. I'm bloody. I'm beaten. I got spit on. Not because of me, I'm God. But because of you. I took your sins upon me, he's saying. And he just wants to hug you. He wants to accept you. But you've got to ask to be accepted. He wants to adopt you. But you have to ask to be adopted. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We're told that in the Bible. So, yes, he is faithful. He is true. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And everything he says in the Bible is true, 100%. Not a single thing in the Bible 
has been proven false. Not a single thing. You should know that there's over 20,000 archaeological finds that prove the face, uh, places, people, uh, names, events, cities in the Bible. Too many historians have looked and said, oh, their Bible's false because blank, 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 and they, they make their statement. And then lo and behold, guess what happens? You know, a day later, a month later, a hundred years later, whatever the time frame is, some archaeologist goes down and with their little whatever it is, I don't know what the tool is called, they, you know, they find something that proves the fact that fact of the Bible that was refuted by someone else that proves it to be true. All right? Nope, actually this person did exist. Oh, this city did exist. Here's proof of it. Oh, here's this, here's this. And over 20,000 archaeological finds. That is quite the evidence. That is impressive, unbelievable, and should turn us back to the Bible saying, I know that God is faithful and true. Because all the prophecies that have come to fruition have been true. Not a single one has failed. And there are still several prophecies that have not come to fruition yet, but they will. And I trust that they will be true because God is faithful and true. And then here at the back end of verse 6, it says, And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must take place shortly take place. So God sent an angel. Angels, one of their greatest things that they do is their ministers and uh, to us, ministering, ministering to us, and, and teaching us, and leading us. Um, but they're not God. And it says his angel to show his servants. Who are his servants? That's anybody who loves Jesus. That is a follower, a believer, a saint. We'll talk more about that in a minute. So sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Behold, and this is in red writing, um, just so you know, so the whole Bible is written by God. It's his inspired word, but when you see it in red in your Bible, if you have one of the Bibles that shows it in red, that's when Jesus uh, is or, or is specifically speaking. Um, but the whole thing is written by God, so don't get confused by that, by thinking, oh, you know, man wrote these parts and this is what God said, I'll just pay attention to the red. No. God wrote every single word of the Bible. He just used men to put it on paper. So verse 7 says, Behold, I am coming quickly. So what does this mean? It means rapidly. That word quickly means rapidly. It doesn't mean short. It doesn't mean immediately. Rapidity is relevant to time. And God's timetable is different than ours. Let's look at Second Peter 3.8. It says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day, is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. So to God, a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. His timetable is different than mine. His timetable is different than yours. It's virtually incomprehensible because I see past, I see future, I see present. Well, I don't see future. I understand the future's coming. Uh, I see the present. I, I, I know what's in the past. I remember some of those events, and I forget the majority of them, uh, in my own life. But to God, he lives in the past, present, and future all at the same time. It's all right there for him. And this verse right here is why I believe that we, um, the, the rapture is near, whether it's minutes, days, years, or 
couple hundred years, I think it's very close. Um, and, and again, you can even look at just my human language and I'd say I think it's very close. Well, a couple hundred years, you wouldn't say it's very close, but I would relative to the history of the world. So if a thousand years is like a day and a day is like a thousand years, let me understand, uh, elaborate on why I believe this. So we're just told that in the Bible. A thousand years is like a day to God. We know that he created the, the world in six days and rested on the seventh. So if you multiply six days times a thousand years, you get 6,000 years. And if you rested on the seventh day, that's a day, multiply that times a thousand, you get another thousand years. So 6,000 years plus 1,000 years is 7,000 years. Well, we've been on this earth. God created this earth about 6,000 years ago. So he created it. About 4,000 years later, Jesus came. We've had about 2,000 years since Jesus has been here. So that's a total time frame of about 6,000 years, which I believe is why the rapture is imminent. It's coming rapidly. It's coming quickly. Um, and then we'll have the quick seven-year tribulation. We'll be watching it uh, from spectators from heaven, if you will. And then they'll have the millennial kingdom, which is a thousand-year period of rest on earth. So the first 6,000 years represents God is representative of God creating the day, uh, the earth and world in six days. And then that seventh day of Sabbath rest is akin to the millennial 1,000-year millennial kingdom that will happen after the end of the tribulation. So hope that makes more sense. Uh, that is uh, definitely my belief. And uh, so I think the rapture is, is upon us, whether that's Moments, days, weeks, years, or a couple hundred years, I think it's here uh, coming quickly. And we go on to see, blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. So here we go, boom. Check it out. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. He just calls you, calls you blessed if you keep the words of the prophecy of this book. Well, if you don't read this book, you're not going to know the words of the prophecy of this book. And if you think all prophecy has been fulfilled, which some liberal theologians have taught and uh, some liberal uh, theologians still teach today, and sadly some pretty good Bible interpreters believe that as well, they, they just took that philosophy of this um, preterism and this realized prophecy doctrine and made it their own, and it's completely wrong. Um, now, the, the danger of that is it, it can affect their view of what's to come and the view of the Bible. Whether Now, that's not typically going to be an essential. Almost, almost certainly, I'd have to hear the person's views, but it's not going to be an essential as to whether they get to heaven or not. But getting that wrong, they're going to get a lot of the Bible wrong. I think Revelation is set forth really easily. You just study it against the rest of the Bible, and you get your time frame, which we'll talk about in a minute. It says, blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Well, how do you keep the words of Revelation? Only if you read and understand and study Revelation. Only if pastors actually teach the book of Revelation. Only then can you be blessed for keeping the words of the prophecy of this book. So right there, God's telling you to read it, understand it, teach it, learn it, uh, study it, pray about it, all that good stuff. Awesome. Verse 8, now I, John, saw and heard these things. So... He saw these events with his eyes, and he also heard them with his ears. We today only hear the description of the events set forth in Revelation. Right? God fast-forwarded him in the future, 
and let him actually see these things transpire. How, how is that possible? Because God lives in the past, present, and future, and he gave that ability to John at that moment to be, to be able to see this, even though it hadn't occurred yet. That's how mind-blowing and how cool this is. And God, I mean, he's the creator of the world. He can, he can do this. He knows this. Um, but today we only hear the description of these events. One day we, too, will see these events. How will we see them? We'll see them like John. We'll, we'll, we'll be in heaven with God watching them as they unfold. And if you're a believer, you'll be up there with Jesus watching this. How cool is that? And let's see. It says, Now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, This is the angel saying to John, See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren the prophets, and of those who keep the word of this book. Worship God. Oh boy, check this out. Here's an angel looking at John saying, don't do that. Why is he saying that? Because he's not God. And if he's not God, then he's not worthy of worship. Only God is worthy of your worship. Let's look at this word servant. It says, for I am your fellow servant. Just three chapters earlier, John did the same thing. Bowed down to an angel and he was told the same thing. So why does John repeat this three chapters later in 22? The same way that you repeatedly do the things that you know you're not supposed to do. Hopefully one day we may learn our lesson and stop doing that one thing, whatever it is for you, and then God can help you conquer the next thing that Satan uses to attack you and keep your attention off of God by virtue of that activity. And this applies to me as well. Absolutely. There's that one thing, whatever it is, and I make that mistake over and over and over, just like John bowed down to this angel again, uh, again for the second time here. We have to learn our lesson. We have to listen to God. And we need God's strength to overcome that because Satan and his, his dominion, his minions, the demons, are always whispering in our ear, trying to whisper sweet little things to us and encouraging us to do things that he knows are going to take our worship away from the glory of God. He knows that are going to destroy us and hurt us and our relationships and our ability to understand God, to know God, and to tell people about God. That's his goal. So angels are mighty and awesome, but like us, they are servants. They are willing servants. You know, some people get this wrong in the Bible, and they say, I, God talks bad about slavery and says, you need to own slaves, and you need to enforce them and treat them like crap. No, no, no. Read the Bible. Read it in its entirety. And when you have the Holy Spirit living inside you after you've accepted Jesus and you're reborn, you will truly understand these things. But let me try to put it and in, in, in frame it in words that you'll understand in case you don't really understand this. You get to willingly choose to serve, to be a servant, to be a bond slave. Yes, bond slave, a bond servant to Jesus. What does that mean? Back in the day, a man would be a slave to a master, and the master would set him free, and the slave had two options. They could, and I'm going to put this in my own words, run away, you know, hands in the air saying, Woo, I'm free, I'm out of here. And there's another choice. They could stay there. 
Kind of like a wild animal maybe you catch in your house or something and you go to the woods to set it free and it looks at you and it's like, I don't want to get out of this cage. I don't, I don't want to go out there or whatever. And so that servant could say, you know what? I know I could run away. I, I know I, I could go away, but I choose to stay, stay here and continue to make you my master and to serve you. And that is called a bond slave, a bond servant. And what they'd often do is they'd put a uh, piece of wood through that person's earlobe and attach it, affix it to like a door. So they would like put their earlobe against a door and drive, think like a wooden nail through their earlobe. And that was reflective of saying, you're my bondservant. You willingly chose to stay. And it's the bondservant saying, here's evidence of the fact that I am your bondservant. I love you, master. I choose to stay. I choose to be your servant. I choose to serve you. Um, And that's the picture. And if you think about that, that's exactly what God did. How did God die? Well, think about the wood going through that earlobe, making a mark in there. God died on a wooden cross with marks on him. So the choice is yours. You get to willingly worship God or you get to willingly worship something else. You see, Catholics get this wrong. They worship and pray to people such as Mary and Paul. And they think think of certain believers as saints and other believers not qualified to be saints. The Bible could not be more clear. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you're a saint. No one becomes a saint by any other means. All you have to do is one simple thing. Place your faith in Christ. That's it. Mormons get this wrong as they essentially worship themselves because their belief and desire is that if they're good enough, then they'll be named the God and Savior of their own planet one day. They actually believe that Jesus was just a person uh, like them, but because he was so good that he was appointed to be God of this planet to be worshipped. And they believe that one day they'll, they'll be the Jesus of their own planet where people will think that they, they created the planet, they died uh, for those people, and the, they want the, all the people to worship them, right? No, 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 no. Listen up, friends. Worship no one other than the one true God. Question. And I'll finish today with this. Are you bowing down to and worshiping, um, even if you don't call it worship? What are you bowing down to? Is it a job? Is it your kids? Your grandkids? Is it golf? Is it porn? Is it women? Is it drugs? What is it? What is stealing your worship? Because if you put anything before God at any time, then you're worshiping that thing over God. I'm guilty myself. And God convicts me. And he reminds me that he is more important and worthy than that thing that's taking my attention away from God for that moment. Whatever that particular thing may be. So I encourage you to think about today what may be stealing your joy, your pleasure, your worship from God. Maybe you think what you're doing is joyful and fun and makes you happy, but that, that's only for a moment, for a season, and then it's gone. God's the only one who's worthy of our worship. Lord, help us to worship you and only you, to give you the glory. You deserve it. We don't deserve it. Help us to love you in ways that we just can't even comprehend. Fill our hearts with so much joy that we, we feel like we're going to explode like a kid at Christmas or something, right? Just give us that joy. Give us the enthusiasm and the drive, not only to read, to study, and to pray to get to know you better, but to go and tell people about you and to peop- and to show people who you are, Lord, that they may have the eternal gift of life because of our deeds. We know our deeds don't save us, but they can have an instrumental effect on someone else coming to you, Lord. Help us to glorify you. In your name we pray. Amen. 
Thank you so much for listening to Daily Verse by Verse. We want you to be prepared in season and out of season to study the whole counsel of God so that you can share with people who Jesus is through your actions so that you have the right to tell them who Jesus is so that they can come to know Jesus or come to know Jesus better. We strongly encourage you to share this message, this podcast on your social media, Facebook, Instagram, message, email someone who you think could benefit from it. It's an easy way for you to go out and witness to the world just by sharing this podcast. We hope you'll join us tomorrow. Have a wonderful day.